Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 745 with our review of The Creator. I'm Christopher Schnazy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a theater near you this week. We are coming together um, for the latest film from Gareth Edwards. We are talking about The Creator. Lots of excitement leading into sitting down to watch this film. This is one of the rare times that... Steven and I actually sat next to each other in the theater, which we mm-hmm. totally forgot <laughs> that was even going to happen. Yeah, we, we either planned and forgot or didn't plan, but we both liked the exact same seats at the Alamo. Either way, <laughs> I was surprised when I I looked at the, the booking and I was like, oh, damn it. It's a full showing. I wonder who I'm going to get stuck next to. I hope they're not like super loud. And then I walk in and I see Christopher with his big bowl of popcorn. And it was, just a, it was a cute moment. <laughs> so, yeah, so as we said, this is one of the rare times that... Uh, you know, we, uh, you know, we both sat together to watch this film. This is one of the rare, rare days that we both worked from the office today at the same time. So I'm just seeing yeah. Steven all over the place before coming down here. I know. Uh, I mean, I did sell my likeness, by the way, through San Francisco. So you've mm-hmm. been seeing all sorts of me. Alamo is going to be full of me pretty soon. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've no doubt about that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Steven, it's been a long day. You ready to get into what may or may not turn out to be a very long review? <laughs> Let's dive in. All right. Okay. We are going to play the trailer for the creator, and we're going to come back and give everybody a uh, probably very lively review. When the war started, they protected me. Took better care of me than humans would have. They're not people, Maya. It's just programming. Ten years ago today, the artificial intelligence created to protect us detonated a nuclear warhead in Los Angeles. This is a fight for our very existence. Sergeant Taylor, we are this close to winning the war. But the AI are developing a super weapon. Retrieve it. Or they win. Yeah, it's just a kid. Are you going to heaven? No. You gotta be a good person to go to heaven. Then we're the same. We can't go to heaven because you're not good. And I'm not a person. Do you have any idea what the thing is? She looks like a little girl now, but she's growing. Whoever has that kid wins the war. You want, huh? What do you want, sweetie? For robots to be free. Oh, we don't have that in the fridge. How about ice cream? <laughs>
All right, so that was the trailer for The Creator, uh, reading the description from IMDb. Against the backdrop of a war between humans and robots with artificial intelligence, a former soldier finds the secret weapon, a robot in the form of a young child. Stephen Miller, what did you think of The Creator? I have not been this conflicted about my feelings on a movie in a while, at least in terms of a big kind of spectacle-driven movie. Because this looks fantastic it it looks incredible it is an 80 million dollar budget it looks better than most 200 plus million dollar budget movies that have come out <laughs> in the last many 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 years um yeah. it has this kind of like tactile use of cv that i feel like when district nine came out that was the future we were like holy shit this is what you can do you don't need a mega budget to make it look amazing to make it look very physical to make it look like these things are actually with you and then since District 9, I haven't actually seen a whole lot of people try to follow up and and make that thing. Um, and this is really fulfilling that promise. Like, this is a movie that blows that up to epic proportions and keeps a very, 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 for my money, realistic look and feel that is clearly full of CG just by nature of the story it's telling. But it never feels that way at all, yeah. at least to me. It feels very, very real. Uh, I mean, it has the, like somber bleak look and feel of like a vietnam war movie or something like that like it and it is combining this kind of heady sci-fi with rugged emotional angst and it just visually pulls it off because it looks completely believable and i think that is incredible i mean when i think about the visuals i think of my favorite sci-fis of the last decade like arrival ex machina ad astra like movies that just like they're about sci-fi, but you aren't thinking of it as being a CG fest. So you're really able to like zoom in and think about the emotional meaning of the characters. And I, I love, I love that so much. I want every movie to look like this. Yeah. Um, and it, it, that was true for the entire movie. I, I was always visually in awe of what the movie was doing. But when I also compare to those movies, Arrival, Ex Machina, Ad Astra, <laughs> they're, there are emotional elements that those movies had with their kind of main characters and the brooding and the philosophy that it was wrestling with that this just doesn't have at all. This movie character-wise feels like a sketch of a movie. It feels like one of those yada, 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 have you seen a movie? Well, you probably know what we're going to do with this character movies. And then tied with that, the story I thought was very underbaked. Again, we can probably in spoilers dive into all sorts of things that feel like plot holes or things that were missing in the narrative and then even the world this world that is so visually perfectly built out like in terms of aesthetics i think this the world building is fantastic in this movie in terms of me thinking about it for more than two minutes i think the world building doesn't work in the movie at all and i'm torn between the part of me that cares about that stuff and the part of me that couldn't care less because it is a beautiful looking way to spend two plus hours um and I think I'm just left feeling frustrated because it it looked and felt so good. I don't think the bar was that high for the story to be something that I would just love. And the fact that it failed that bar and leaves me nitpicking and feeling frustrated, I don't know. I, I don't know what to do with the movie. I, I honestly don't understand why the story is this underbaked. <laughs> but yeah. before I go into details, I guess I want to lob it over to you to see how close are we, how far away are we, how much is this going to be an argument? <laughs> 
it's it's, I, it's not going to be an argument. <laughs> I mean, everything that you said so far is is spot on, 100% true. This film looks amazing. I loved every second of visually interpre- interpreting the photons bouncing off the screen and hitting mm-hmm. my eyes, right? Like that experience, seeing what is being presented is amazing. This film feels like somebody like like found a treasure trove of like a bunch of concept art for this cool futuristic world and just brought that to the screen in a way that feels grounded and real, even though it's clearly super fantastical because we don't have machines running around and stuff like that. But outside of that, this film feels like, you know, maybe the uh, the main character of this film would think the, so- the, the film didn't have a soul <laughs> because they would believe it was just a construct and not real, right? Because this film is lacking so much in any actual substance. It's all visual spectacle, and that spectacle is firing on all levels. Nothing else looks as good. It looks amazing. Every You take like one shot from every scene, and I just want that as like, a, you know, plastered on my wall or something, right? Like it's just a really, really right. beautiful, um, awesome representation of this world. But then literally everything about it, if you take two seconds to think about, you're just like... I get why this visually looks cool, but it doesn't make sense. I'll pick something that com- that's completely unrelated to any story just to illustrate the kind of stuff I'm talking about. And this is this is such a silly nitpick, but it, it, it's imagine that but extrapolated through the entire story into everything. Um, in this film, there are, I'm going to call them boats for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. There is a boat, which is the thing that hovers on top of water, but then still has kind of a sail. So it's basically, it's like, you know, in like old Star Wars films where it's like clearly a car and they're just like, they rub like the grease on on the glass over the lens and like cover up the tires so that it looks like it's like floating or whatever. It feels like they just have like an actual boat on water and then the bottom half of the boat is CG to be floating above the water. It's like, if you have a thing that can fly, just fly. Why are you hovering above the water? Like, I get that it looks kind of cool. But like who made who in this world made this craft? <laughs> because yeah. what was its purpose and why was it designed that way? Can it also hover above land or can it only hover above water? What is the technology here? It seems like there's a lot of stuff that went from concept art to live productive like production version in the film without an actual path to get there and a reason for being. Um, I think this film. <laughs> Honestly, one of the silly things that kind of bugs me about this film is the opening title card where it explains what uh, Nirmata is, right? <laughs> like, right. it gives us two definitions. One is the actual definition of the word, which is just the translation of the word creator, um, which we're watching a film called The, the Creator, and it opens with a title card that says this word Nirmata means creator. Cool. I'm fine with that. But then it also gives like another meaning, which it, it sounds, I, I forget the exact way it described it, but it was something like, it's a word that like humans use to refer to this deity that machine AI worships. And I was like, okay, is that going to be important to the story at all? I'm pretty sure that when we're introduced to Nirmata, nobody worships this person or being. It's purely this is a being who does a thing, right? It's like one of, it, it shows us two definitions and only one of the definitions applies. And the other definition is like, we can talk setting. We can talk in spoilers because there is worship of Nirmada in this movie um, that we can get to. Mm, I, I feel like it, that's a, 
that's a revisionist definite like it feel not 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 you you're not the revisionist in this case i mean you I want think someone else to worship nirmata is what you're talking about it's it's like nirmata wasn't being worshiped until a certain event takes place and then there is mm -hmm. sort of a it's a it's a prolonging uh, it, i don't we'll get into it in spoilers um but i think that secondary definition comes in so long after the fact that it kind of doesn't mean anything and just makes me go like, why is that even part of the story? This feels super weird. It's because they want the this visual and the feeling of this deity being, but it doesn't actually apply to the, to the world that we're participating in. Let me let, let me say a few positive things, and I, I can lob back to you at any point. So just give me the signal. But uh, I, sure. I want to say a, a few positive things besides it's just beautiful. Um, uh, which I'm gonna I'm gonna backdoor my, my way in through a negative comment again uh, uh, <laughs> uh john david washington's character like every other line out of his mouth is they're not real they're not real and it's like we get it you don't believe that machine ai is real uh, we get it you don't have to lean on it so hard so when the film starts and he keeps talking about how they're not real they're not important they're not living beings we hate them Giving, given that I've watched the trailer and I knew he was going to encounter a machine child later, I was like, man, if you're being sent to kill this child and then you won't kill them because they're a child, this is not going to work for how anti-machine you are for the first five minutes of this film. Like, I'm not going to buy this transition. And to the film's credit, this isn't a I refuse to kill a machine kid. Uh, now I'm running from the people who were on my team. This is a I need this machine kid for a very specific reason. And I'm begrudgingly putting up with the existence of this kid until I can maybe potentially achieve. So, so at least at least I was like, OK, so you're not establishing this weird hate. But then on top of that, another thing that I didn't like is John David Washington's character is basically a cyborg. He's an ex-soldier mm. who's had enough of his body replaced that I feel like you can't be that anti-machine. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I feel like there's a little... Sure. I I just I don't I don't understand how you can hate I mean, machines. It, it stems it stems from a very obvious premise, and the obviousness is what annoys me. Which is the obvious premise is people think AI isn't real, but at what level of complexity, at what Turing test definition do they become real? And that is like it is so obvious that they need to do more with it for me to believe that a person living in that world is actually that dense, right? And I yeah. think that the, that's the problem is that is the that is the conflict at the heart of the film. And it is such a kind of obvious and overdone conflict. We as viewers don't buy it, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, like, and, and that was kind of the, you know, the whole, you know, I, I know you weren't a fan of Westworld in the way that I was a mm -hmm. fan of Westworld. But, you know, like whether or not you think it's cliche, like the whole point of that is, is not can a machine be alive? The point of it was, well, well, if you can't tell the difference, does it matter where, whether or not they're alive? And I think that's right. one of the most entertaining ways to talk about AI is, is not, is it actually sentient? Is it actually alive? But like, to me, if you're somebody like, even, even in a world where you know, a hundred percent that they are not real, right? If you're just going on a murder spree, killing things that are pretending to be alive that still also does something to you right <laughs> like i feel like yeah. being like if, if something is play acting as suffering if you're okay with that you can't just tell yourself it's not it's not alive it's fine because you are experiencing the same thing you would experience if you didn't know that it was so it's like if somebody was dressed as yeah, a machine you're joe, joe pantoliano eating the steak <laughs> 
in the matrix basically like it doesn't yeah. matter <laughs> yeah yeah but in that one he was going to be fully ignorant right uh not ignorant yeah right. yeah, he, he, yeah, yeah yeah his ignorance his bliss was going to actually work for him because he was going to buy into it in this world it's like if you're just killing stuff that you are telling yourself are machines then like what is what is going on there right like it, it, i feel like there's right. still meaning to treating another thing as human whether or not you fully 100 percent believe it's human and this film doesn't ever feel like it's willing to um like adopt a real thought experiment there on what that means it's just one person who's so anti-machine that he's like hey uh you know nothing no matter how realistic they are is ever a machine fuck them all let's kill them all they all need to die and i get he lived through ground zero of this explosion that happened. Sure, fine. I get it. You really, really hate machines because, you know, potentially a lot of people died and you're sad about it. Mm -hmm. But it just felt like there was this weird disconnect of actually wanting to have that conversation. Uh, on the other side of it, I did actually appreciate this kind of concept that like we've seen lots of films um, where society is split, right? You have some parts of society that are like, yeah, machines are great. We love them. They should be a part of our society. Respect droids. You know, like it, it's kind of like a, a thing where people buy into it. And then you have other parts of society that are like, no, we hate this. You know, people within one community can war against each other in that. Are you a supporter? Are you a hater? Do you break machines? Do you try to keep them going? I feel like, and maybe I'm forgetting other films that do this, but I, I feel like this is a very, very interesting concept they wanted to throw out about the idea of warring factions on Earth, one that supports and one that doesn't. So two superpowers mm -hmm. in the world, of you, you know, whatever the U.S. is here, and then New Asia, where New Asia is accepting of uh, machine AI and making them part of their society and living cohesively with them. Meanwhile, the United States is trying to wage war, not against New Asia, but specifically against the AI group that is living in New Asia. Great concept. Right. The problem is this film completely ignores the geopolitical uh, impact of United States waging a war against another country, but trying to toe the line between like, no, we're not actually attacking New Asia. We're attacking the people hiding in New Asia. And like, there's never mm -hmm. a conversation about like what that means for two superpowers engaged in this sort of conflict. It's always well, just well, like, so this oh, no, is, it's just machines. Th this is where I, my read of the movie wasn't that two superpowers were engaged in a conflict. My read of the movie was very political of America or whatever is coded as America is the imperialist power and they are pulling a we're at war with the Viet Cong, not with Vietnam, or we're at war with, you know, terrorists, we're not at war with Iraq, and they are steamrolling over a community that is a one-way fight, basically. That is the way that I interpreted the the world of this movie, is that it was entirely propaganda, and the only thing keeping them from just crushing everyone was some public opinion back at home that made them have to, like, put it under the subterfuge of them rooting out a threat that that was kind of how i read it so much that i thought the metaphor was no. laid on way too thick and frankly not not um the story didn't pay off that thick a metaphor no like and and, and like i i we we both agree on that point but to me mm -hmm. new asia is a large group and we're seeing incursions into a small part of new asia so in mm -hmm. my in my head i would assume that other parts of new asia would not like that happening. And in this future, where there's a giant doomsday device floating over the planet, <laughs> that 
the war wouldn't just be like, oh, come on in and kill whoever you want, that there would be more of a pushback. That That's kind of what I was thinking is that like there are, I assume there are superpowers in the region. As far as I can tell, mm. the only place a nuke went off <laughs> was in Los Angeles. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it just it just yeah. seems like there would be other people in the region who would want to stop the United States from doing their wars anywhere in the territory. Yeah, in my in my head canon, the US is a hegemonic state that is essentially the, the global power and everything else is dispersed and there is no other superpower in this future. But another thing speaking of the world building, if I can nitpick again or maybe my own mind was just in the wrong place when i started watching this movie this movie opens with archival footage of you know the ai future is bright look at how simulants are being built that are going to walk among us and have human-like powers isn't this great and then cut to the nuclear bomb going off in la the way that was presented at least to me looked retro it felt like it was telling me something that happened in like the 60s or whatever, just in like the way the broadcast was framed, the way a press room is being shown. And it seemed like kind of grainy video footage, like something that happened a long time ago. And then it turns out in this world that happened in 2055. And I, <laughs> there, there's something right off the bat that I, I'm fine with this being an entirely fake universe. You know, the, this could be a Blade Runner type situation. Who cares what year it is? Um, but there's just something right off the bat where I was kind of discombobulated and not sure how much to put geopolitics as I know them into this movie versus imagine we are in Halo or something like we're in just an entirely <laughs> different world that happens to be called Earth. Uh, yeah, so right yeah. off the bat, I was a little confused. It, again, visually, I liked it. It was jarring. It was interesting starting with that retro feeling and then nuclear war and then cutting to this very somber modern day. But in terms of the actual world building, I feel like I don't understand how that world op like what the rules of that world are so it's hard for me to even answer your question i don't know if there are multiple superpowers or only america which would yeah, be fine yeah. again i'm i'm totally fine with a character driven moody sci-fi where the world is happening in the periphery and we don't ask a lot of questions but i like john david washington just fine you know but his character is a total blank slate <laughs> in this yeah. movie he cannot emotionally carry a movie without having a world like his point in this movie is the philosophy of the world and he is like a representative a representative of those warring philosophies and the fact that i don't understand the world that it created really 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 makes it hard to become emotionally invested in what happens to him yeah can i ask a nitpick yeah yeah go, go ahead okay my nitpick comes down to how these ais work uh simulant you were talking about boats right and how there's a boat that can technically fly and yet it's just a boat yeah ais we all know how ai and robotics works in you know broad strokes you know it's a machine it's a machine and it has some kind of neural network type brain and in this case they've replicated the brain of a person and so it's going to have the capabilities of that person um a character early on surprises an ai by choking it to death why would you design your AI so that it needs to breathe through an airway and when it is in the process of not breathing, it is losing consciousness and unable to fight back? So, so, so Stephen, first, I'm going to double down for you. And then second, I'm going to do back backflips to explain it in a way that I do not believe 
but it's okay. the only thing that satisfies both of our complaints. I love it. I, I'm excited for the gymnastic <laughs> feat you're about to pull off. <laughs> so I also had a similar complaint, which is like, I was watching the film and one of the things I kept thinking to myself is like, if everybody believes machines are alive, why do the machines want to look more human? Like, what is the point of looking like a human if you believe that there's nothing about being human that makes you more human than just being sentient? And on top of that, even if I forgive that and say like, well, you just want to look human, how come all the machines, they only get to look human in the face and the back of their head gets to be a machine so that everyone else knows they're not human? That felt like a double standard. Um, but there's this moment where you see an ad playing on TV where it says, donate your likeness, show your support for the machines. And I was like, okay, cool. So in this universe, it's like a solidarity thing. Like, mm -hmm. hey, you can take my... Because that's the thing too, is I was like, they're AI. They could procedurally generate unlimited faces and no machine would look the same. You could have your own bespoke personal identity. So I kept thinking like, why do you need to take someone's face when you can have any face that's never existed before because you can have all these permutations. And then I was yeah, like, okay. I have a double backflip answer for that. And maybe you have the same <laughs> answer. My double backflip is that the world that they live in right now, it is not that AI as a field has progressed so incredibly that we have learned how to synthesize consciousness. It is more that the raw materials were built and they learned how to transport from, you know, wet matter to digital. And so in this world, the only way to get this kind of advanced human-like AI, as opposed to the more coarse droid type of AI that fight for the imperialists, is to literally transplant from a human being whatever the state of their brain and motor functions and everything was onto a robot. That is my double backflip. And I kind of think that is what the movie wants you to believe because, and I won't go into spoilers yet, the idea of a different way of doing things, something that might grow and change and be different, is treated as like a novel, amazing breakthrough that didn't exist before. So I feel like in this movie, it isn't just the face is being donated. It's that it actually needs a human brain, a human identity in order to create a real working AI with that level of capability. It still doesn't tell me why you can choke them. <laughs> well, well uh, oh, oh, yeah, sorry. Now I remember it. It's the choking thing which keyed me off. I remember it now. So I will, when we get into spoilers, we'll talk about that and I'll tell you why I don't think that's the way it works. Now I remember, yeah. now I remember why it is. This is the double backflip. The machines so want to be alive that the ability to die is inherently human and they design their own systems to like the whole, cause we'll get into this other, one of my other biggest complaints is why no AI have fucking backups in this world. Um, mm. Like this is a world where you're a completely artificial being, even if you're sentient, you should be able to back up your consciousness where they literally introduce consciousness transfer in this film. Um, yeah. And it's just a thing where it's like, you should be able to back yourself up. I think, that the way they try to be alive is to be one body, one consciousness, susceptible to dying in much, much different ways. Like that is, that is the way they achieve more aliveness is by adding the ability to die. Because 
otherwise they should be able to just live forever the body gets destroyed a little bit eh, swap another body just transfer your consciousness into that and then go on living you want to be somebody over here one day you want to be a different type of person over here the other day do whatever you want just keep jumping between bodies and everything's fine like like that's what this universe should allow for in a world where there's completely synthetic beings but i think they purposely build in the ability to die because that fleeting life actually makes them live more steven makes them mm-hmm. live for real yeah i don't buy that i i mean i like i know you said it was a, a double backflip i appreciate the double backflip that's fine to me what this zooms out is What's interesting is when I was thinking that we were going to discuss the creator tonight, it wasn't until a few minutes before recording that it occurred to me that we are talking about an AI movie, because I don't think this is really very interested or thinking about AI at all. I feel like this movie, it took the concept of AI versus human and then mapped it on to more general stories like Vietnam War era movies or something about oppressed groups of people and forgot to go back and flesh out the ramifications of what it means that the group that is being oppressed is an AI. Because yeah. there, there's just a lot that is never addressed or even hinted at. Like, what is the benefit of it being an AI? They aren't super powered, to my knowledge. They aren't extra strong. They Again, they can be surprised and choked to death. <laughs> um, there, there's just something about it that I feel like it was... Uh, there's this grand sci-fi opera or whatever that gareth edwards had in mind and the fact that it's an ai is like the hook but not the meat of it and that is one of those things that just doesn't feel fleshed out enough in this world yeah so so as i've been talking about the film so far in this episode i've been semi-conscious to either call them the machines or machine-powered ai or something right because to me one of the aggressively stupid things about this film is that any character refers to them as AI. There is no way these soldiers in this world would be like, oh my God, the AI. Hey, dude, Steven, the AI is going to get us. Like, that feels like such a trying to talk to today where like AI right. is the biggest topic. It just feels like there is no world. Like, in in Terminator films, they also refer to them as the machines, right? They're not like, like sometimes there's a Terminator, right? But it's like robot. I, I feel like it's, it's when it's robots coming after you, you say robots. You don't say, oh, uh, humanoid, synthetic, AI powered bots are trying to get us. You're like, yeah, these machines, especially if your whole goal is to say they are not human. They are not sentient. Right. They are not alive. They are just fake. You would say, hey, these machines in Battlestar Galactica, the pejorative for the machines is toasters, right? Like it, it, you don't yeah. you don't say, oh, those totally alive things over there. <laughs> like it just it feels weird that like every character is saying like capital A, capital I, T M, right? It just something about it just felt so hokey to me and I couldn't understand why it was bothering me. I was like, yeah. Right. Because why would you call them AI? Well, speaking of hokey, one thing that I truly can't decide how I feel about this movie is it emotionally this is self-serious like i think emotionally ad astra is the closest to this movie in recent memory where it feels like one guy's very brooding journey through a lot of really interesting set pieces but it's really a personal emotional story and the person is having trouble connecting with his interior emotionality or whatever like it feels like a heavy somber movie and then it's like Chris White's co-writer or someone like did punch up on the script and decided there would be a joke every like 15 minutes (laughs) in a way that 
I laughed. I don't know that I, it's a problem with me. I don't know if I would prefer the movie that doesn't have the jokes, but there were just moments that made me wonder what this movie is trying to be. Like, like there was a, there was, was a moment where the dog um, moment. <laughs> I mean, there were a lot. Yeah, the dog moment, or there was a moment where a character is talking to uh, Alfie and goes like, "Oh, what do you want, sweetie?" And she goes, "For robots to be free." And she said, "Oh." <laughs> We don't have that in the fridge. How about ice cream? There were things like that kind of periodically where I, again, I don't mind it. I think I kind of like it relative to the somber version of this movie because I think the world building doesn't support a totally somber, serious sci-fi tone. But yeah. it just had a, there was a weird clash to me where it felt like this movie did not know what it wanted to be. And I didn't know how to handle some of the hokiness in it. Yeah. And, and I think, too, like it actually works with John David Washington if he's the only one that's cracking jokes. Right. Because he is sort of trying to, like, use humor to get through the situation he finds himself in. Not even humor, but like sarcasm. Right. Like but when the other like when it's just for the audience, that's when it becomes weird. Right. Like a character can make jokes about their experience. But when the audience is getting stuff just for them, it makes you go yeah. like, I mean, I did chuckle, but. Is that is that what you wanted to go for in this moment? What's going on? Yeah, I mean, that was my feeling. I laughed at pretty much every, quote, funny moment in this movie. But after the laughter, I thought, did, was it really worth deflating the tension for that? Like, I kind of liked the tension. It kind of seems like you're trying to go for tension with this movie. So I, I yeah. don't know. It's just, again, it feels like the movie didn't really know what it wanted to be or and what kind of story it wanted to tell. And that left me feeling a little stranded. But it looked so beautiful the whole way through. I... I kind of also thought it was great. (laughs) So I just feel very conflicted about this movie. Yeah. Um, Man, I'm trying to think of some stuff, some more things to talk about uh, that bugged me uh, in in a pre-spoiler section. Um, Mm -hmm. There there is some visual stuff, once again, that this film is like stuff that looks beautiful. But if you think even for a second, doesn't make any sense. Um, There are tanks that appear in this film that have targeting lasers that can track enemies. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yo, if you could track the enemy, why do you also need to use that tracking to hit them with the missiles that you're firing at them? Can't you just fire the missiles directly at them? Like, it's clearly a thing that looks rad as hell, right? When like yeah. a bunch of lasers come out and start tracking targets in real time and then missiles fire off and then hit them, it looks so badass. But if you think about it for a second, like in modern day, when soldiers paint a target with a laser, it's because the machine can't do that processing in real life, right? Uh, right. Or, or even go back to the latest Top Gun film, right? You have two pilots, one that launches the bomb and steers the plane, and one that paints the target with the laser, lines it up, so that because the one person can't do both at the same time, right? That's mm-hmm. totally fine. In this future, this AI could target whatever the hell it wants. Just fire the missiles directly at the, at the, at the target. Like, we don't yeah. need you to visualize it for us, as rad as it is, because it doesn't matter. Uh, the enemy deploys... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out of way and say they're AI-powered weapons at some point right. in this film. You're waging a war against AI. In well, what universe would you deploy AI weapons against the AI? Why would those weapons so, not hurt you? So this goes back, and we can talk in spoilers maybe a little bit more, about my theory, my double backflip that I actually believe, which is there's a fundamental difference in this movie between the intelligence of a standard robot and the intelligence of, um, what, what do they call them? Simulants. The intelligence brought about by actually replicating a human being. And in this movie, 
the former are like servants of the empire, like droids and Star Wars or something like that. They are like, they're things that they can control that they're not worried about. And only they, nobody thinks those pass the Turing test. And these new things that are actually cloned from human beings are the ones that pass the Turing test. Right. And I, I feel like this movie wants there to be a hard dividing line between those two. Um, I don't know to what end necessarily, but I feel like it's very intentional. So you believe that consciousness can only be bootstrapped and can't be created synthetically whole cloth. I think in this world, that is true. And then, that is that is my belief about this world. And do you believe it's only one-to-one? -one? Or once you bootstrap it, can you replicate that same consciousness 50 times to make an army of 50 conscious I people? I think then you can replicate in perpetuity. And this movie just didn't do it because the movie hasn't fleshed out its world at all and decided it, it went for the, like, the metaphor of imperialist wars so hard that it was like oh forget the ai thing it's fine we started with ai now let's just do our thing um <laughs> because yeah 100 percent. i think in this movie once you've replicated it once you could replicate over and over and over and over again just like you mentioned uh, consciousness transfer exists in this movie you could do that 50 times you could keep doing that until you get the information you want but the movie doesn't want that to be true because the movie wants to be able to have stakes and yeah, I don't have a good argument for why they don't just replicate <laughs> things over and over again. But I do think bootstrapping in this movie is the only way to achieve real AI. Okay, interesting. M you know, maybe maybe in uh, three weeks we're going to have a director's version of this. <laughs> the director's cut mm -hmm. come out on iTunes and make can watch it and be like, oh, yeah. You mean when, you, when you finish editing? <laughs> yeah, when I finish editing this. But, to, to yeah. those new to the show, we have a joke that whenever Christopher finishes editing an episode, they release it on iTunes that day. Yeah, yeah. When when I didn't when I didn't edit it in real time with when we recorded it. If I'm ever if I ever right. fall behind when yeah. I get around to releasing the episode, it happens to coincide with a Tuesday release uh on iTunes, like the very next day of of the actual film coming out for everybody yeah. to watch. But but now you've upgraded. Now you're targeting the laser and firing the missile all at once. You can do everything <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Uh, one more thing to bring up, Stephen. I feel it's... I'm skirting the line, but I, 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 I think this technically counts as non-spoilers. Uh, the, uh, the, the Americans um, in this story... They have this ship called Nomad, which is like mm -hmm. the, you know, whatever. I forget what the acronym stands for. It's like, I got it here somewhere. Uh, the North American Orbital Mobile Aerospace Defense, period, I guess, is, is what Nomad stands for. But they have this giant ship um, that uh, can do orbital bombardments, right? They can, if they find a target, they can go full on ID4 and just blow that target out of the sky or out of the ground, I guess. Um as I'm watching this film, I'm like, it seems seems scary, seems deadly. I was like, does, does does no one else have ships? Can no one else fly to space? Like, shouldn't someone just fly a ship to it? Like, we we never right. see a scene in this film about what defenses that have. We see its offensive capabilities. It's basically a Death Star, um, at, on you know on some level, and it finds a target and it just blows the shit out of that target. But we don't see like it doesn't launch Tie Fighters. If anybody flew something towards it or fired a missile at it, it doesn't seem like it could really do anything to stop that from happening. And I'm like, okay, I guess I can accept that in this world, 
in New Asia, there aren't flying things that can go to space. It's just all terrestrial crafts that maybe can fly in the air, but can't actually fly into the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Then we're fucking introduced to the fact that there are lunar space stations and that there are regular shuttles that go back and forth from New Asia to the moon. And I'm like, oh, so there are ways to go to space. Not only is it easy, but it's readily available and happens constantly every single day. Um, Oh, we'll talk about it. (laughs) And there's no TSA, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. So so I was just kind of like, okay. Okay, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, we we will definitely talk about it. (laughs) Okay, we can get into it in spoilers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. My my only other non-spoiler thought here is that I feel like when I zoom out, the big story this movie is telling, I understand, and I even like the idea. I like the broad strokes of the story. I like what it's doing. I I like what it's doing with the. Gemma Chan character Maya and what she means to Joshua, John David Washington's character. I like what it's doing with Alfie. Um, I get it. I enjoy it. When I think about any specific beat, for instance, Nirmada, the importance of Nirmada, I struggle to think of any time in the movie until the moment they want it to be a reveal when I am made to care who Nirmada is, when I believe anyone else cares who Nirmada is, when I believe it matters what Nirmada does. I feel like everything about this movie is just built toward reveals, but then it isn't doing anything to bolster those beforehand. And that is the weird thing about the movie is like, in hindsight, I can piece together a total story. But from moment to moment, I was never feeling stress or wondering what would happen next because the movie wasn't giving me anything to wonder about. The movie was just waiting for the next reveal to happen to me. It felt much more like I was playing a video game than like I was uh, watching a narrative. Going back to my point earlier about even showing the title card with Nirmada and its definitions. Imagine taking the script to this film, going back in time, taking the script, selecting all... You know, doing a command F, <laughs> type Nirmada, hit, you know, command return to select all at once and just type the creator every time the mm-hmm. script says Nirmada and just have characters yelling, get to the creator, take her to the creator, go to the creator. This film, so many of my problems with it are fixed. Like, so, like <laughs> just, just having, just because now it doesn't mean anything. Now it's just people referring to the person that created something. Like, it... It's, it doesn't, it, it, it feels, it just feels weird. Like even your film, your film isn't called Nirmada. You could have made this movie called Nirmada, but no, you made this film called The Creator. And mm-hmm. to me, Nirmada doesn't mean shit. <laughs> like it doesn't have any significance to this specific story. It doesn't make it more meaningful than just saying The Creator. And in fact, it makes it less stupid to me. Um, and I think that like, there's not really a benefit to at least in the American release of this film to not just have the character screaming that because when they suddenly change from yelling everything in English to like saying this one word that's not English, it just feels like it doesn't actually add any significance to the meaning of those sentences in a way that makes it worth trying to add the significance by showing a title card, explaining what the definition means, and then having characters yell it with significance that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. But... That may be a weird sure. statement for me, we, but I, I have a little point in spoilers against that, but I mostly agree with you. Though I will say, 
if everyone's running around saying get to the creator get to the creator that would even feel even more like a video game than it already does <laughs> all right fair enough. i feel i feel kind of bad for being so negative on the movie because i am genuinely believe me when i say i am actually torn about this movie there are things that i celebrate that i'm so excited for i want a million movies to look like this in the future there are things i really really love about it and i am not plot or plot hole guy usually i have a high tolerance for that stuff but this movie was just so close to being fantastic and the way that it fails to be that makes me want to grade it on a curve of what it could have been and what it could have been was just so damn good and so <laughs> yeah. i uh, i think i'm inherently very critical because i just feel like you were right there you were so close you could have done you could have had it all <laughs> and instead i don't know we get this thing that is just like uh kind of a husk of a narrative and that uh that is a shame to me yeah like like you know there there are uh there are other ai films that have come out in the last couple of years that we have watched that were you know way 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 lower budget looked like they were way lower budget had some weird acting choices in them but you're like oh the idea of this is so interesting i believe in what it's going for and it elevates above the schlock that exists with what you're watching and it's like you're grading it on the opposite curve right you're saying like okay so this is a little cheesy it's a little weird but the ideas here are so strong that i like want right. to really celebrate this film and and i'm i'm proud of what it achieved right like i'm like yeah i like that film because it was interesting and it did all these things this film is starting so far up just in visual presentation of what it's doing that you're like shit this film is awesome and you're like oh shit mm -hmm it makes zero sense and a lot of this is silly and man you were doing so good for like 30 seconds yeah. and then now every single thing that happens i just go like oh it, now i have to it's like you elevated yourself by your presentation of your material that your material couldn't stand up to what you're visually presenting mm. and now it makes me want to criticize every single choice that was made about any of it and it's like it's a weird it's weird that those two things, those two films, like this film and what, what was the other film? You know the one I'm talking about, the Artifice Girl. Um, Artifice Girl, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, like if you compare this and the Artifice Girl, it's like there is no world in which I should enjoy the Artifice Girl more than I enjoy this film. But right. I do. I do. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, it's just a weird, it's weird that these, those two films can even be like pointed at each other as like films that like one, which feels like it's barely able to achieve what the other one is doing is is doing it so much more more interestingly um uh, but yeah i mean this is why talking about movies or applying a ranking to movies is so hard and fraught and kind of silly because you inevitably grade it on the curve of how you feel about it what it could have accomplished how well it does that and there are things like the acting was cheesy but it tickled my brain therefore i adored it and there yeah, are things yeah. like wow this was beautiful a work of art and yet it was hollow and it frustrated me so much wait for rental <laughs> and there's just no real <laughs> rhyme or reason to it but i i will say too to this movie's credit it is not only does it look beautiful like the creator i also think in broad strokes like the rough the the way he wanted to tell the story like when i squint and kind of see the shape that he's going for i also love it like th there's a lot about this movie i love i love the idea of mixing futuristic ai and sci-fi with kind of old school gritty war realism i love the idea of like imperialist america as an analog for humans versus ai like there's a lot of ideas in this movie too that i really 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 like but it um it 
it's weird to say it doesn't take the big swings because it this movie is one big swing, but I feel like it doesn't carry one idea far enough for me to champion it based on the idea. It, it, there's something about it wants to be too many things at once, and that kind of makes the emptiness feel a little bit more overt to me. I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of faulting it for trying to do too much, uh, but I, I don't know. It's just how I feel. Speaking of some some un, unintentional uh, problems that 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 were un, like moments where I almost unintentionally laughed out loud, but I was able to keep it in is there's a scene where John David Washington is talking to Alfie, right? And uh, they are talking about basically she asks, "What is heaven?" And he said, mm-hmm. "It's a big place in the sky." Meanwhile, there's this giant nomad ship in the sky that's just blowing up. Yep. I, in the trailer, I fully believed that would be intentional. And then the movie doesn't really seem to do anything with the obvious parallel between heaven as exists and the actual destructive thing that is the closest thing to what you call heaven. It's like, it's like heaven, but also Elysium. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this movie, I mean, this movie is indebted to so many things. And I'm sure I haven't read an interview with Gareth Edwards, but I'm sure he would quote many of them too. Like, in, you know, Apocalypse Now and Blade Runner, but then also very much District 9 and Elysium. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. This movie is clear ex machina. Like, even just the visual of the robot with the face, yeah, just then the from face behind, the, you have yeah. the metal. It's so ex machina, um, which is fine. It's totally fine to copy from all those things. It's just, it's not as good as all of them in terms of story. Even Elysium, I think, I thought the story was stronger, and I'm not, like, the biggest fan of that movie. Yeah. I think most of us aren't. <laughs> Yeah. I'm, I am a fan of those medical bays, though. If I could get one of those, that would be super awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, Stephen. Uh, are you are you ready to delve into spoilers? I'm ready. It, it's been it's been a, it's been a while since we have a spoiler segment. So this 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 can potentially be pretty exciting. Um, but for now, before we get to spoilers, you know, we got to tease everybody for a little bit. We have to give verdicts and we have to say goodbye to all the people who aren't going to stick around for spoilers. Um, so, Stephen Miller, if you were going to give us a must-see, recommend with a caveat, wait for rental, pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? My actual wait rating is wait for rental. I, I, I honestly think this movie is just right in the middle because there's things I adore, 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 and things I really can't stand. But in terms of me recommending what you do, I have to say recommend with a caveat. Because I recommend you see this movie. I want this movie to make a lot of money. I want, I think visually it is such an impressive feat. I think it's something you will enjoy watching. I think you should do it. The caveat is I do not think story-wise or tonally or emotionally, this is a very good movie. (laughs) Um, So it's a huge caveat. It's a caveat. I recommend it even though I think it is like fundamentally deeply flawed. Um, And yeah, I just... I hope this is V1, and like Alfie, it has the potential to just get better and better over time as more people try to iterate on it, um, because I I hope this is the alpha of a future of sci-fi movies with, I shouldn't say mid-budget, because 80 is pretty, you know, this isn't like a $20 million comedy or something like that, but it is relatively mid-budget, and I would much rather we have three or four of these a year than one giant Marvel movie, so... If there is a future where more of these get made, I think we are all going to be better off for it. But next time, please, please, please write a script that is more tight and has one clear point of view. And I don't know, just just make it less of a kind of hollow narrative exercise. 
Yeah, I mean, like, if, if there was a Creator 2 announced today, I would probably still technically be excited for it. <laughs> Even though I would yeah. have zero confidence that it wouldn't be this again. But, yeah, as Steven said, like, we do want to encourage this type of film to be attempted. I uh, just want to encourage it with... Uh, with <laughs> We want to encourage it with a little better uh, effort put into making a story that actually grips you. Like, when I think about this film in the future, I'm going to be like, shit, I kind of want to watch that again. But not because anything from the story holds on to me, but just simply because I just want to visually watch it again. Um, so, mm-hmm. I, I, interestingly enough, I kind of have the the opposite trajectory of you. Like, in my heart of hearts, I was like, god damn it, I think I still recommend this movie. But I'm like, but but mm-hmm. really... I need to stay true and say that this is a wait for rental, <laughs> but it's like okay. part of me wants to encourage it, but also part of me is like, I got, I got a big projector at home. I can just rent this on iTunes when it comes out. Like that's where you should watch it. If you, if you have the ability to watch it big at home, you can still enjoy right. everything that's good about it. It's just, it's like my initial reaction was like, man, that movie is so weird, but I still kind of liked it a little bit, but I think in reality, I'm still like, Hmm. I it was made for cheap enough that it's gonna make us money. I don't need to push anybody to the theater to see this. <laughs> yeah, I I guess I would just the difference between us, or maybe it's the difference is I wouldn't say I kind of liked it. I would say I kind of loved this movie and also <laughs> couldn't stand it. My internal turmoil, the the amplitude is just so high in the peaks and the valleys for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, it, it's it's definitely. It's one of those things where, like, I wasn't actively detesting it as I was watching it, but the entire time I was like, this makes no sense. This makes no sense. This makes mm. no sense. Oh, that was fucking cool. This makes no sense. <laughs> it was like one half of my brain was being constantly visually entertained, and the other half of my brain was just making a list of the things that don't make any sense and being like, I'll deal with all that stuff later. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get to that list. But first, I guess we'll uh, do an outro. <laughs> All right. For everybody who's not sticking around for spoilers, this is this is your end. This is the uh, the the blue light coming down from the sky to let you know that your time is up. <laughs> so, <laughs> isn't it a funny troll that the like the joke about Marvel movies and CG goop is that it's always just blue lights <laughs> yeah, coming the to the sky, and then this movie that is like the total polar opposite of the Marvel goop is a blue light coming from the sky. I I find that kind of funny. Yeah. The the real joke is uh. Um, Steven, do you think you could ever be snuck up on by a giant blue light that's visible from like hundreds of miles away? <laughs> I'm very bad at paying attention, so I actually believe I could be. Oh my god, Nomad's here! <laughs> oh, anyway, Steven Miller, for people who aren't going to stick around <laughs> for spoilers, where can they find you throughout the week? Uh, you can find me on all the social networks, uh, Twitter, Blue Sky, Threads, Instagram, at sdavidmiller, or you can uh, find my blog at sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherirl.com, Christopher IRL at a bunch of places, including mastodon.social. Um, you can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com, uh, where you can get a bunch of back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so on Overcast, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know that episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning, facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning, or instagram.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com, or you can use the contact form on our site. 
Music for this episode will come from a track selected from Artlist.io, so hopefully you are enjoying that. That music is playing now. It is going to fade up. And when that music fades out, um, we're going to be in full-blown spoilers. So if you haven't seen the creator yet, go off, find Nirmata, and, uh, you know, come back when you're ready, when you've done whatever you were going to do. Anyways, <laughs> see you in a sec. <laughs> I'll keep my eye on you. My trust you've yet to earn, but I am Supplying power to a fear of doom. All right, we are back. This is spoiler territory. It's the after part of our review of uh, the creator. This is our area. We are where we are pro robots, pro AI, and uh, anti uh, United whatever alliance of people who in the West want to blow up machines. Um, yep, Stephen. <laughs> Where do we want to hit first? Do you want to start with some minor spoiler nitpicks and then go into the bigger, broader ideas that it might try to twist us with? Um, how, how would you like to start? Yeah, let's just go to the bigger ideas and then hit minor nitpicks along the way. I feel okay. like I, I want something juicy. I feel like I've been minor nitpicking for the last 45 minutes. <laughs> okay, well, let's start with the big, the big twist that in my head diminishes the reality of the twist that is trying to give us which is oh my god you guys his wife is actually nirmana we thought it was his wife's daddy but no his wife is actually nirmana that's crazy also by the way alfie is well not actually your kid but based on a design created while your child who died was in utero um so it just it feels like this was supposed to be this it was we're all working to this thing is like hey you know that kid that you're begrudgingly running around because you hate the world because your wife and your kid died turns out your wife is still alive and your kid is still alive and the kid is with you the whole time but no no no, no. we didn't want to do that because that would be too obvious what if instead the wife is almost half dead <laughs> but kind of alive and the kid that also did actually die when the wife almost died and is now half dead was just designed to be based off what that child would be at the age that the, the child is now, Alfie is now. Like, it, what? Why? Steven, explain why we just didn't go full on your wife is alive and so sure. is your kid. <laughs> well, okay. So first of all, I think this movie, this is going to be like hackneyed because everyone says this about every movie now, but this movie is clearly about grief, at least partly like his grief or whatever. <laughs> and so the loss of a kid is important to the character's motivation. So I never believed that it was going to wind up that Alfie was based on a real child of his who was still alive that he was going to find somewhere. I assume that's what you mean, based on a child that is alive, because... Um, the child isn't alive, though. Obviously, Alfie... Uh, no, no, it isn't. But I assume that is the alternative that you would have wanted, because Alfie is a simulant. So how would the simulant be the baby of two humans? <laughs> right? It doesn't make any <laughs> because, sense. So because clearly, maybe, Alfie wouldn't maybe, be the child. Maybe Maya's not full human. Think about that, Stephen. Like, if the big reveal was she... Because here's the thing. Steven, we're watching a film, title, it opens with a title card that says Nirmata is a deity, right? Or at least looked at mm. by machines as a deity. Why would the machines deify a complete and total human? It would almost make more sense if she wasn't actually human, she was at least partially some sort of simulant, 
and that he had married her thinking she was human. And because here's the other thing too, right? When we're introduced to Alfie, when everybody looks at it, they're like, oh my God, they're making kids now as though simulated humans can't be whatever the hell you want them to be. This film treats it as though like it's cr somebody invented a child robot. Uh, can you believe it? So it's like, to me, it's like, well, what, I, if, this is... what if this mm -hmm. is like an actual Battlestar Galactica type of situation where it's like, wait, are Cylons and humans reproducing now? That's fucking crazy, right? Mm. But no, this film, it, it's like, and obviously that's been done before, so we don't care. But it just made me go like, wh why are you making all the illusions there, but you're actually putting a hard, fast line to be like, man, what if it was your, it's, I mean, it's not your kid, but I mean, it looks exactly like your kid would have looked if your kid was this age, but that's because like, wow, she was pregnant. She used that as the basis for the thing she would, it's like, wh why would she do all that work? Because she thought that kid was going to live, right? There's no way she knew she right, was going to get blown to hell. Weapon. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying it makes sense, <laughs> but first of all, I'm okay with like the layers of metaphor, the hard stop or whatever, because this movie, even though it doesn't, go there very well i think it clearly wants to confront his idea of what is a human and what isn't a human right and so his he has this innate feeling for this robot you know the simulant alfie and he can't explain it you even talked about it pre-spoilers about why does he do it and it's like oh well he doesn't actually have a feeling for the kid he just needs it alive so he can get to nirmata yeah. but it's clear through his interactions that he does have a soft spot and it's because there is some innate thing that recognizes his child in this but then it isn't his child it's a replica of what his child would have been and i but think it, the this... fact that it isn't his kid is important for what the movie thinks it's doing about questioning the nature of consciousness and reality and what why would he love this thing just because it's exactly like what his kid would be but it isn't his kid but that's the thing is the kid died in the womb mm -hmm. so this is just a kid that's potentially the age of what his kid would have been five or no she's older than five right she's i don't know ages but i think she's supposed to be five because i think this is supposed to be that the robot is aging in real time right like i think that's the that, this is getting more and more powerful over time is this thing is actually growing and aging here here's my other complaint steven mm -hmm. why does the getting more powerful over time have to be tied to physically aging in a body because you could well, have a child robot that suddenly becomes Goku and it goes Super Saiyan and destroys all the yeah. machines. You know what I mean? Like it, it's I don't I don't get why well, this bolsters my belief that in this universe, AI is not something that we have learned how to synthesize. It's something we have learned how to replicate from a human being. And so the idea of growing over time, it's almost like Nirmata has ported the idea of growth and the ability to grow up into an AI and because AIs think differently and have these certain capabilities when it grows up naturally it is going to grow up expanding its power of clapping and turning things off or controlling them so like again <laughs> I think this movie has a very like physically grounded belief in how AI and AI progress works and it it wants AIs to be tied to the same rules that govern people. It doesn't want the creator to have this super intelligence that knows exactly how to make it do the thing that they want it to do. So to me, that is a point in favor of the idea that that double backflip is actually the movie's argument. Um, <laughs> because this is this is how they want the wedding to be. In terms of Nirmata, like we talk about Nirmata as the creator, the creator being worshipped as a deity. In my mind, you already said it. Take away the word Nirmata. 
but you can keep the fact that it's being worshipped. Like, yes, AIs would worship the thing that created them. That is the quote God to them. Just like to us, the God is whatever we think created us, right? Yeah. Like that. that is kind of like a classic thought that I'm sure many sci-fis have already delved into before. What's weird here is they have a Dread Pirate Roberts type of rule about Nirmata, where Nirmata is more like the Dalai Lama, where when Nirmata dies, someone else becomes Nirmata instead. And that doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) Unless the robots need, like the AIs need the equivalent of a kill switch or something. And in this case, that means there is one person that you will unconditionally listen to and that can pass from person to person, depending on who it is. I don't understand why the daughter of the creator would be someone that they worship as a god yeah. but they do because again there are the monk there are the monk simulants that we meet who clearly do worship her so there is like a level of deity worship going on here yeah that that's the funny part it's like it's like i don't know a lot about the dalai lama but i'm pretty sure that it's not transferred to your child <laughs> it's mm. right it's just someone right, else the line of succession is random yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but i don't know i don't know that they believe the new Nirmada had to be the child of the old Nirmada, even though that's how it was so far. They are just saying, as long as Nirmada lives, we cannot have another Nirmada. And that's why he has to like pull the plug and relieve her of her misery. So yeah. again, it's kind of hazy what their rules are, but maybe it's because it has all this Southeast Asian visuals and monks and everything. In my head, it is tied to this kind of mystical idea of someone new out there will suddenly rise up and become Nirmada. I figured it out, Stephen. Whoever makes the best robot <laughs> becomes Nirvana. <laughs> so the mm. dad had previously made the best robot and everybody's like, oh, Nirvana. And then she was like, wait a second, I'm going to make a baby robot that's going to grow to be the best robot. And then she became, it's like, mm. it's like, a, you know, like Mech Warrior where you challenge the person in your clan and then you become the leader of the clan if you kill them. It's sort of a variant of that. Mm. <laughs> sure. <laughs> then the... To go back to the relative importance or unimportance of Nirmata, everyone takes for granted that you need to get to Nirmata because Nirmata is like the mastermind of the resistance or whatever. That that seems to be the reason. Or maybe they want to get to Nirmata because they believe if you kill Nirmata, then whatever, you're the Highlander, you have the Elder <laughs> Wand, like now they all will follow you. Um, oh, he, if they John kill David her, then the child becomes Nirmata. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> It all makes sense now. Yeah. So they, John David Washington has been following her and marries her under deep cover. He really loves Gemma Chan. That is like clearly established in the movie. But he has married her under deep cover to get to Nirmada. We still don't know. Like he was with her for years. And she was Nirmada, and he didn't know. Which means clearly Nirmada is not that important, unless she had like this hidden life where she's communicating all this time with people and setting up master plans. It it feels like, again, the movie doesn't really care about that, and I don't care about that all that much either, but it, it has set this up to be a big deal, and then its own plot kind of tells you over and over again, Nirmada actually isn't a big deal, it doesn't mean anything. But, but I, I think that's literally what was happening, because in the flashbacks when we see her building the baby robot inside of the thing that looks like it's straight out of death stranding um it like she's clearly in some basement laboratory that he doesn't know about maybe maybe when he goes to sleep she steals his arm and his leg (laughs) and Mm -hmm. knows that he won't come looking for her (laughs) um steven 
you reminded me of something a second ago when you said kill switch um sure you know i don't know if we're ready for small nitpicks but i wrote it down and i wanted to get this out before i forget about it steven can you explain the difference to me <laughs> between standby mode and sleep mode No, I think they're the same. <laughs> because it, apparently simulants can sleep, which is what I would call standby. But then if you twist something on their neck, it puts them into standby mode, which is not off because off is dead. So you, you, you turn left, off, dead. Turn right, standby. Sure. How can you sneak well, up on a sleeping explain, robot who's not in standby already? Let me explain using an analogy that you would understand. Your iPhone has an optional feature called raise to wake or raise to turn on the screen, right? Mm -hmm. But you can turn that off and then it has to be manually clicked in order to turn on the screen. In this case, when a robot goes into sleep mode, it is going into a mode where it could wake itself up, right? Like its network is still available. It might be waking up to alert you of a new message that it's gotten or things like that. But when it goes into standby mode, then it is manually triggered and then you have to wait for someone to manually turn it on. So it makes sense to me yeah. that it could exist. Now, I don't know why they would just have that right there if they want to be a lethal killing force. That seems like a pretty bad Achilles heel to me, but... That is the argument. All right. One more question. And this is my ignorance. I should have Wikipedia this beforehand. Can you explain to me how EMPs work? Does an EMP not hurt a machine if the machine's in standby mode? <laughs> uh, Does it only not destroy electronics that are currently passing current through them? I don't know how EMPs work, but in my headcanon of how movies want them to work, it's that they disrupt active electromagnetic um, interactions, not the underlying hardware behind them. So if something like let's take your computer, right? If your computer is on and an EMP hits it because all all of the machinery is active and it's like you know sending bits back and forth if it is suddenly being corrupted by this thing that is nuking everything and flipping all the bits to zero then you're screwed okay if it's off then arguably there's no current going through it anymore and maybe the current is the thing that is being manipulated so, so it's kind of so in this it's kind of like how i, I can... don't think that's how it really works by yeah, the way yeah. no scientist please correct me <laughs> I, i'm sure this is not the truth but in this world when a simulant is in standby mode, it is essentially powered off in that nothing is running. So anything you blast to try to kill it, you know, disrupt its basic functions hasn't hurt anything because it's already been cryogenically frozen or whatever. Like it's powered down. It's it's ready to be woken up again. Yeah. Um, whereas if you suddenly, you know, if you don't safely boot down a machine, then it might be corrupted and you can't turn it on. But again, the degree to which simulants follow the rules of human beings and if they die, they just, quote, die. It, this movie has not thought through what that means or why that is true at all. Uh, as referenced by, and now I'll go back to another nitpick, um, you mentioned the consciousness transfer in this movie. There's a thing I really liked that this movie does once where there's a character who has died um, he's been dead for a while. So the signal is very weak in his brain. 
And Allison Janney basically pulls out this thing that transfers his consciousness to another simulant instead, who wakes up and has this horrifying 30 seconds of being the last gasp of, oh my God, I'm here. Wait, I'm dying. I can't believe I'm dying and having to like come to grips with the fact that they're dying all over again. That's all fun. But again, if consciousness is digital, she could reproduce that a hundred times and have a hundred people do that and preserve it until she gets all the info she needs. There, this movie has not thought through any of that at all. And it, uh, it went from me loving it to me being annoyed by it very quickly. So Stephen, if I can backflip for you again, I think it is infinitely reproducible. However, when you already have the weakest possible signal... When you make a copy of a copy, that signal degrades over time. So they had enough... Yeah, that's not true for digital things. <laughs> I mean, it, this is a digital analog connection. <laughs> mm-hmm. See? Think about it. Think about it, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, so it's similar to its theory of simulants needing to be one-to-one mappings of human beings. Yeah. Even consciousness is just like a an analog signal that it's doing like a digital compression of or whatever. Yeah. Also, I liked it better when it was called the discovery. <laughs> Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyways. Um, another question, Stephen. Let's pretend that I thought the whole Nirmata thing was cool. Let's pretend like I thought it was cool that Maya was Nirmata. Let's pretend that I'm in this story and I work for the U.S. I'm trying to kill Nirmata, who I know is Maya. Do you think it would be smart for me to fill the one ship I don't want Maya getting on with simulants that are based off Maya's appearance? Does it make sense that I would have an entire bay full of Maya's just chilling up there on my ship that one day she, the one enemy who's trying to destroy my nomad ship, might board (laughs) possibly and now there would be a whole bunch of them. How, How do I know which one's her? they could all be her what like like who's i i get thematically why john david washington would want to meet up with maya after alfie copied maya's consciousness from the coma and put it into the bot so she could have eight seconds of one last kiss before everything blows to hell but why why would you put replicants of the enemy's god on your ship I don't know. I have, I have no idea. I don't. I'll, I'm going to be honest because I wanted us to, and maybe we still will, go into nitpicks about the ending of this movie. I feel like I just kind of like turned off my brain and blacked out for the last 25 minutes of this movie. Well, I was like, did you because the, sleep, stand by, or off your brain? <laughs> uh, I think it was stand by, and then you like pinched my neck when the movie was over, and then we, we got up and left. Um, because... I remember plot-wise what happens, you know. Um, They want to kill Alfie, turn Alfie off. John David Washington puts her in standby instead. When she's being transported to a place, he turns her on again, or something happens that turns her back on, and then they escape. They board the ship that happens. I don't think the ship is bound for Nomad, but, like, it's bound for space, and then they hijack the ship. It's bound for the the lunar colony. They basically... They they arrive at the airport, run through security, quickly get on board a ship on its way to the moon to one of the lunar colonies there, and then they redirect the ship in flight and basically take it hostage. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. So they take it hostage. They get to Nomad, which is surprisingly very easy to do. I mean, I understand Alfie can manipulate electromagnetic waves and maybe nothing in history has ever done that before. So this is like a special new way of entering. But it, it seems pretty easy, at least. Like they just like go up there. They do it. They Alfie temporarily stops Nomad from dropping bombs, doing anything. It is frozen in place just long enough to... I'm not really even sure what it is accomplishing that it has been turned off for a while, but she turns it off for a while. People freak out about it. A single mine or grenade is put on one of the missiles that is kept at bay. And that is timed for like 10 minutes for reasons that I don't understand. And then my mind just goes blank and people are running around and things happen and Maya is there and she's reunited. And I just, I lost the ability to follow what the movie was doing because it just felt so muddy of an ending to me where it's just like, this is the grand operatic finale. Okay, I guess it's the, you know, the pincer movement is happening now. I'm just going to accept it <laughs> and, and move on. <laughs> was that a dig at Tenet? <laughs> Yeah, John David Washington just doesn't know how to how to end movies. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I think you got all of it, Stephen. I mean, that's basically all that okay. happens. So I was awake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you were awake. I think I think you know at least in Independence Day they were in an alien ship, right? the The mothership mm -hmm. guided that ship back to them. It wasn't like they snuck on board the ship. It was like, oh come in my long lost ship that I haven't seen in since 1942. Um, but in this, they just fly up, they get on. Everybody's like, oh my God, what do we do? How do we stop anybody? I want to talk about this ship for a second, Stephen. Let's pretend that you and I are, uh, we're collectively PMing the Nomad ship, right? <laughs> we are going to build this crazy ship that'll allow us to uh, destroy any enemy base on the surface of the planet. Um, we're going to arm it with a bunch of what are essentially shuttles that are packed full of some sort of warhead. Um, and we're going to be able to target anywhere on the planet. Do you think that like, like it would make more sense for us to a build a ship that can only load one torpedo at a time, or since we have a giant ship, should we just have a bunch of torpedo bays, one for each of the missiles that we want to fire and have it mm -hmm. where like if we want to destroy all the bases at once, we can hit a button and have them all fire instantaneously instead of fire one at a time by rotating it into the launch tube and firing from there. What do you think would be the best method for our death destroying uh, ship? I think probably parallelism is always helpful in, in, in things like this. It uh, leaves you not having one single point of failure uh, in the event that you need to get something done. But I don't know that there's only one torpedo bay or that we're only looking at one torpedo bay and there are many torpedo bays out there. I mean, I'm not sure. There's clearly not because we watched the sequence where he's hanging onto the last torpedo and it's one by one rotating the entire line of torpedoes down like it's it's like chain fed torpedo bay where it's like one fire right the next one fire and it's like oh my god will the 10 minutes end before his torpedo gets to the torpedo bay and gets launched it mm -hmm. was definitely like a weird thing that i was kind of like couldn't you just fire and then here's the here's the here's the other part of this question steven should we have to put the ship directly on top of the target or should we make it so the missiles that we fire 
can just go anywhere on the planet that they need to go. How would you like to design the ship? I don't want to because I uh, am on the side of the, the simulants. But no, I mean, the whole design makes no sense. But at the end of the film, they're targeting multiple, multiple bases at once while only remaining right. over one of the bases, which means in the initial scene where they bombed Nirmata's hut, they could have just blown that shit up instead of having to storm the base and lost soldiers. Mm -hmm. And it would have been an actual sneak attack instead of having a giant blue light go all the way across the entire ocean slowly at like one yeah. knot per hour. The, the, the moment toward the end where they just decide to bomb every enemy combatant at the same time doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense geopolitically for me because if they could have done that all along, I need to understand why they have refrained. I have not seen any kind of political propaganda that shows them looking like the good guys. I haven't seen any examples of blowback that they've gotten for behaving negatively at enemy bases before. Everything they've painted of them is they are the evil galactic empire who will stop at nothing to root out all enemy combatants. So I don't know why they didn't do that to begin with. I don't know what they're hoping to accomplish here. I guess just like one last gasp before Nomad goes down because they take it as a given now that Nomad is going to go down. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the design is stupid. I still don't even remember, though, in my head. This is where my brain turned off. Alfie uses her superpowers to stop Nomad. Right. She stops it for a period of time. She's actively doing it. John David Washington is on a torpedo. So are the, are the torpedoes moving here or no? She stops. She stops. It, and then so she lets it start again. Well, she stops it. Because it's the very last torpedo that he happens to be on. And she's able to stop it so it stays in the bay. I feel like she stopped it first. The, like, that's what I don't get. I felt like she stopped it first. And that alerted all the people below to be like, screw it. We need to go into the something something mode. And then she unstops it and lets it run. Because I remember it runs and they're murdering all these people. And I thought, like, why isn't she still stopping this? Like, uh, yeah. what else is she doing? What else is in her agenda today? That That's makes right. Her not she, she stops it, I guess, so he can jump onto it. And then mm -hmm. she gets disrupted somehow and it starts again. But here's, here's my real question about that scene, Stephen. So the soldiers have these rocket launchers, right? They're for some reason a rocket launcher that's time delayed. For me, when I fire a rocket, I want it to explode on impact. They have this thing that goes like, dunk, sticks to a target and goes, be -de 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 -de, explode, right? Right. It's almost like a m mini nuclear torpedo. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the main villain gets hit in the back with it. And she claps her hands and starts doing robokinesis and prevents the bomb from exploding. Right? And it's not until yep. somebody like knocks her or almost shoots her or whatever happens. And then it blows up and kills the target. Right? So she has the ability to affect the electronics inside of explosives. Mm -hmm. Rather than power down Nomad so that John David Washington can stick a bomb on one of the torpedoes, which is already a bomb, why wouldn't she just clap her hands on Robo, blow the bombs up? manually well i for whatever reason i don't think she has the power to blow up the bombs i think she can just redirect them now why doesn't she pull in air force one and redirect the bombs back to nomad i don't know yeah or <laughs> I, I think that would be a lot easier yeah or since those all those torpedoes are rocket powered 
why not just fire all the rockets on all the torpedoes, even if they're stuck in the tubes, and even if they don't detonate, it would still, I would assume, push the ship down towards the surface of the planet, and it would have to figure out how to counteract that force, right? Like, I, I feel like... Yeah. Like, what if you couldn't launch the torpedo because literally it's out of fuel, right? Because she burned up all the gas in the in the all the rocket fuel. Yeah. Well, I just don't understand unless her I mean, maybe her powers are finite and she just ran out of power for a while. I just don't understand why she ever unfreezes Nomad because we basically watch her at John David Washington's request essentially. Be like, okay, you're good. Stop. And then we watch them just massacre untold thousands of simulants and human beings who are sympathetic to simulants around New Asia while they are finishing their mission, which could have been finished in that moment because it's just a, a, a grenade on a torpedo and you can just make that detonate whenever you want. I, and so I don't understand any of that. I believe they were coming through the... You know, it's like at the end of Jurassic Park when the raptors are coming through the glass. I think it was like, a, mm -hmm. I'm here sitting down doing my clap hands on the little pad powering down the station and oh shit they're on to me i better run <laughs> and i think that's why she took off she can't clap hands okay. and also run at the same time okay okay maybe that is what my brain missed is like the threat to her that made her have to stop for a while because i i just didn't see that it seemed like she stopped and then everyone was you know unable to get to her and then it was part of John David Washington's plan that she would start again and the torpedoes would launch, launch, and launch, and then he would have the one that he'd be able to grab onto it. It just doesn't make sense to me. But it's fine. It seems like there are easier ways to destroy Nomad when you have those kind of powers, for yeah. sure. Like not even getting on Nomad, just redirecting a torpedo into Nomad, which, because uh, apparently the power of a single torpedo exploding is enough to destroy the entire nomad because that is like its downfall at the very end. Well, as I said before, they clearly built zero defenses and they were, they were you know, the best defense is a good offense is kind of their yeah. methodology for how they built nomad. Yep. I, for one more nitpick and then I might be running out of energy to nitpick. Um, <laughs> One more nitpick that I have is so Alfie, it has been established by the movie that she is very powerful and will get exponentially more powerful as she develops over time. I know this because Sturgill Simpson, the character of Drew, looked inside Alfie's brain for two seconds and turned to John David Washington and said, she is the most advanced thing I've ever seen, and she is going to get exponentially more advanced over time. She will be able to control everything. That's just lazy writing. Yeah. There's no way that guy would know that. He's never seen this before. Yeah. How could he possibly know what it can do after two seconds of looking inside? It's just silly. I don't... There are a million ways you can tell the... You know, you can tell the audience the stakes without having a character do that. And that just kind of took me out of it. Yeah, it was kind of silly. Because, like, it, it wasn't even like he... It, here's, here's how you fix that scene. You plug a cable into the back of her head and you have code go behind the screen and he can go, mm -hmm. I've never seen coding this in, in, impossible. Like there's self-learning, blah, blah, blah. Like you can techno babble your way through it, but having him poke the back of her head and go like, oh, I've, I've never seen this before. I mean, I know my girlfriend has whirling gears in her head, but I've never seen these kind of whirling gears. I've never seen a kid robot before. This is the most advanced technology I've ever seen. Like I can't get in must be future tech like it mm -hmm. 
I, I would have totally accepted just code running by on the screen and like a progress bar that gets to 100 and goes like, oh, shit, self-learning super soldier. Yeah. Okay, second question. Do simulants age? That was what I was saying earlier. I don't think Alfie ages, but in your world, but see, I you think believe... Alfie is the. I believe Alfie is the only one to age. That's my assumption, which begs the question: Why did people make really old simulants? <laughs> yeah, I. If they don't seem like they would be the smartest, like people to use as fighters in your mission against. <laughs> yeah, may maybe we're missing human. scenes where they explain the organic part of the robot machines like maybe there is some sort mm. of thing where it's like like once again i think if i do my double backflips i think that they are emulating old age purely because it is a sign of humanness and it is a reality of fleshy beings and they want to emulate mm -hmm. that as an aspirational thing because life being finite mm -hmm. makes life more important them being finite even though they could be infinite, uh, <laughs> makes them be more human. And that's sort of the whole goal mm -hmm. of that's what that's what the creator created. Sure. But they don't want to be human. They want to be what comes next, right? They want to be beyond human. I feel like that's a that's the whole thing. I mean, I don't think they ever say they want that. Yeah, I guess it's only the humans that are yeah, it's uh, only doom and glooming about the idea. Nirmada is the only one that wants to be something more than human. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. We done, Steven? <laughs> yeah. I was going to end on a joke about Alfie being taught the birds and the bees of like when your Nirmada and Nirfada come together, <laughs> then they create them. <laughs> I, I was also trying to earlier on work into... <laughs> Nothing's Nermata. What's Nermata with you? <laughs> uh, Please edit out my laughter. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't endorse. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will see you in our next review. Bye. Bye.